Welcome to a very special 20th episode of the National Institute for Gamer Review. I am DK. I'm Lewis, and Ulfric Stormcloak is a cringe wignet. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you couldn't hear from the laughter in the background, today we have a very, very special guest. Uh, Mr. James Alsa, please say hello. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. We're awesome to uh, have the chance to talk about Vidya and some of, the, some of the thematic implications therein. Yes, um, and as you probably gathered from the stinger and the title and the HTML, etc., uh, today we're going to discuss one of the most uh, popular and um, just a cultural artifact in its own right, uh, uh, games uh, Skyrim, The Elder Scrolls V, uh, which, I mean, in some ways, like, we were talking a little bit about before the show, and, and I, was, I was kind of, I've been thinking about this and trying to think about how to think about it, so to speak, and... Um, in a lot of ways, more so than than any of the other previous games in the series, which had a lot of modding going on and interesting things going on, um, Skyrim is almost more of a platform than a game. Like it's kind of almost more like Gary's Mod or something, where where it's it's a it's a palette or or a um, uh, like a you know a canvas for people to just do. Uh, whatever, not just in terms of like the game, the, the people playing the game themselves. I mean, that's kind of built into the design intentionally. Um, but also for, for modders and programmers and designers and artists and people who like, you know, I mean, you, you can download you know, uh, texture packs that's nothing but, you know, tens of gigabytes of, of like trees, right? And, and how many dozens of hours did somebody spend uh, making just textures of trees and grass and flowers and whatever and that's just like one kind of texture pack right um so yeah it's 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 definitely an interesting um an interesting uh title i don't even know i mean in, in what sense is it even a, a, a game anymore or what sense is the game you know what what is it as a game i guess we can well, we can so, in all this please yeah yeah so like and people who haven't played it or haven't played it recently, especially on PC, may be wondering, well, why are these guys talking about a game that came out, what, nine years ago now? And I remember when Skyrim first came out, getting it for PlayStation 3 and playing through the the vanilla, right, original release and having some fun with that. And, okay, this is cool. You can do, there's a lot of side quests and leagues and different things you can do. But then I I didn't really look into it or play it at all from probably 2014 up until 2019 or 2020 when I, I got it again for uh, for PC and started getting into the modding aspect of it. And I was trying to find my, my launcher here in the PC. I don't know how many mods I have on my version now. It, it's probably over two or three dozen mods, which I know some people out there are like, whoa, pleb, only two or three dozen? Are you some kind of you mod know? cuck? <laughs> yeah, you don't have hundreds of them. <laughs> But I wanted to start, you know, small and make sure things weren't going to crash. But 
the the experience is totally changed uh, in the modded version, in my opinion, um, versus the the original. Especially in, I would say, the most relevant areas for for our interests. I would guess, which is the this power struggle between uh, between the Stormcloaks and the and the Empire and the Thalmor. Oh God, the Thalmor. You want to get in a little bit more into this? It sounds like so. I with my own experience with the game, I, I guess I should I should say I um. I, I'm one of I'm kind of I admire Skyrim and the Elder Scrolls from a distance. Like I've played, I've played a bunch of Oblivion, a little less than that of Skyrim, and very little Morrowind, which is unfortunate because I, I, you know, everybody speaks very highly of it as kind of the most mm-hmm. interesting title in the series, and that was certainly my experience. It's just it's one of these things where um, I don't know. I'll, I'll get in my maybe critiques later. It, I don't I don't do super great with this style of kind of first person randomly procedurally generated RPGs where you kind of have to make your own fun. I, I do have some amount of you know this make your own fun kind of stuff with like paradox games and stuff like this. I, I sometimes enjoy, but um I don't know. I like to have my hand held a little more typically. Um so for example with, with this, I uh I, I, I don't think I finished Oblivion. I don't think I ever finished the main plot of Skyrim. I just I got up like midway through and went and off and did a bunch of, you know, dived onto a bunch of caves and did a bunch of dwarven shit. And eventually I became at some point I became uh, I was frustrated with the combat. I was I was like, this feels very clunky and I want to improve my my combat experience. So I decided I was going to like set myself to the goal of um, crafting a bunch of dragon bone everything. Um and of course, in the which I didn't understand or know at the time, in the in in order to be able to get at a high enough level to where you can craft dragon, I had like a full set of dragon bone everything. Um, I, I I was at such a high level that all the enemies scaled to that level, defeating the purpose of having made the dragon bone everything in the first place. So I kind of was like, well, you know, I achieved my kind of goal that I had set for myself, which was which was, you know, making becoming a master craftsman. I did a bunch of shit in side quests and, you know, ran around uh, this 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 setting for a while. The plot didn't really, you know, grab me, at least at that time. Right. And I kind of just drifted away from it. Um, so maybe uh, you, do you, do you want to get into the, like, what's the story and what do you find, what do you find well, compelling about it? Yeah, actually, that's that's an interesting problem that the game has because, and this is true for, for most Bethesda games, uh, at least all the ones that I've played, where you are the the most um, l- like most powerful creature in in whatever world it is, whether that's uh, Fallout New Vegas or or uh, Skyrim or probably Oblivion too. Like the the enemies that are presented, like oh, so. Let's start with with the central thesis of the main plot of Skyrim, which is there's there's this dragon invasion that's happening of the world, and in order to God, I'm almost forgetting what it is because I haven't like I'm right with you. I didn't play the main story when I got back into it. It's not the reason it. why people play these games, right? No, it's not. And so you have to go and I. What is it? It's not closing the portal. That's Oblivion. So they they didn't want to be too uh, derivative of Oblivion. But you have to go to and I'm uh, yeah, people so are going to mock go to Valhalla and kill the you gotta go to Valhalla and kill the big dragon. Right, yeah, it's Valhalla. They have some name for it. I, I didn't want to say Valhalla, but yeah, basically. It's uh, Savangard. That's right, yes. And kill the big dragon. And then, you know, the dragon invasion is solved. But I think the, the problem that it sets up, and the reason why, especially after you've played it once, you have no interest in replaying the main quest, 
is that there's actually there's two reasons. One, there's an incentive for you not to in that the more dragons there are, you as a character, you can kill them and level up faster and get dragon bones and scales and things which are good for crafting and selling and you can make more money from that. But two, if you are able to level yourself in combat sufficiently, then these dragons, they don't pose a threat to you anymore. So, and you're so detached, your character is so detached from the civilization around you that you don't really feel a compelling reason for why you have to save these people from this dragon incursion, right? So, okay, so they go, dragons show up and they kill some Khajiit caravan or they kill some like Argonian drug addict. Well, what do I care, right? So, I don't know, I feel like the motivations aren't sufficiently established to generate a lot of interest in that in that main quest. Well, you, Lewis, have said in the past, and I don't want to take words out of your out of your mouth, but maybe you could elaborate here as it would be a, a good chance uh, that, that you you feel that, um, what is it, like the Elder Scrolls mythology is just pure kind of Jungian, European blood memory archetypes and, and we're not even really meant to pay so close attention? Do I have that right? Or, or I don't, again, I don't I want to let you speak. Uh, I may have been talking about a different game. I, so I don't, I don't want to like derail sure. hard, but uh, there's definitely uh, the Skyrim. Skyrim of these games is probably like the most like has the biggest racial aspect. Uh, to, like to where, if you're not playing a Nord, you're kind of like the game makes it very clear you're a foreigner in this land, which is what mo a lot of games do. Like, oh, you're a stranger, but uh, I think. Skyrim is probably one of the only in the history to make, well, I guess like 70% of the players who don't pick Nord or 80%, uh, it, you are explicitly like a stranger in this land and a racial stranger. And if you're a play a Nord, you're not. And I think it's, it's probably the only game to deal with like a nation uh, maybe ever. I think every other, I don't think any other video game actually like does this as a concept. Um, even if you're like a, in Far Cry when you're a white guy in Africa they don't like make a big deal out of you being a racial stranger and then uh, that's, that, that, that's, that's my big take on Skyrim is that it's, well there's that and then there's the whole selling your soul thing which gets into the Jungian archetypes but uh, you, when I, as I recall when you had initially said um, said it it was about something to do with like we have these trickster demon gods and like it was in the context of like knowing the kind of general mythology and the pantheon and stuff and or like when you know and what period? Because I, I guess I don't. I'm not super up on on Elder Scrolls. I mean, I don't think that anyone. Is, I don't think the designers are. I think people who take the kind of um, the mythology or the whatever the history of it, people seriously at all seriously take it more more seriously than the than the designers themselves. But like, I guess this is set in a certain age, and other games are set in other ages, and um, there's some kind of vague timeline, and some kind you know there's there's like um, who who's the trickster demon? It doesn't even really matter. But um, there, there's like well, these... it's kind of like every demon is kind of a trickster demon. There's sure. one that's like really trickstery, but they're all kind of trickstery. Um, well, the conceit of the you know to get really whatever old, like 2017 on it is every single Elder Scrolls game takes place in like the Kali Yuga of a certain era. Okay, yeah, there we sure. go. And yes. that's kind of the uh, the big thing is that hey, you're the you were just rolling you're the around and figure who like sets the Kali Yuga right or something or you know yeah or doesn't or whatever because sometimes sometimes you can pick not to and all Fallout games do so this as so well, what you're saying you... is it's a Hitler simulator sure <laughs> I mean you can you you can do it that way if you want um 
Yeah, we're in the Kali Yuga. We're the Avatar that's divinely ordained to, you know, it, it works, right? Yeah, uh, well, that's, and that's the interesting thing about about Skyrim compared to like Oblivion, because I, I like you haven't played much Morrowind, but with with Oblivion, the only threat, if I recall, seems to be the spiritual existential one yes. uh, coming from from the other world, closing this portal to Oblivion. Whereas in Skyrim, you have have this combined threat of the these uh, mythical creatures uh, from another realm coming back, but also the very pressing threat of the the invasion, the Imperial slash Thalmor invasion. I just love how, I mean, I think it's, you know, everyone in our thing and, and probably beyond our thing knows that it's one of our memes. You know, Skyrim is for the Nords is sort of like, <laughs> you know, America's for white people or something, right? It's a kind of very obvious one-to-one thing, which which I think speaks to Lewis's point about um, the racial dimension of this mm-hmm. um of this story, of this narrative, of this game, that that really, yeah, I agree. I'm I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think of. I mean, you have games dealing with themes of alienation and and things like that, but but on a specifically kind of racial level, or at the level of we have here a kind of indigenous, not even just indigenous, but like a white people population, explicitly white. I mean, they're you know they're all. Are there any? I mean, that's the funny thing about I guess the racial system. Maybe change gears slightly, but uh, I don't think. Like, you have black people, you have, you know, like, human racial groups in the Elder Scrolls that you can play as that are not white people, but they're all kind of explicitly Middle Eastern or something like that, right? I mean, not to mention the Kaji you talked about before, these kind of cat people. Well, there's, well the, there are, what is it, the uh, the Brentons? Red were like the fucking, the Kel- well, there's Red Guards who are obviously the uh, basketball the basketball <laughs> race, and then there's the the... the like the Celts, who are not the Nords, but kind of okay. Right. They play the, Brent, the Brentons, and the Imperials are like the, the Guidos. They're always yes. like kind of Roman standards. They're the Roman, yeah. They're like mm-hmm. if, if Rome were in fifteen hundred or something. Yeah, the year fifteen hundred. Yeah. Are there any other? What are the other? Is there any other other human race in the? I don't. I don't I, not off the top of my head. I think that there's that, like three kinds like, of elves too, which is kind of weird, but mm-hmm. very D and D. <laughs> yeah, but the point is that the, the the Nords themselves are like European presenting full stop, right? At least yeah, specifically like specifically Europe. Nordic, right? Specifically yeah, Northern North European. European, yeah, yeah. Which and you can I mean, tell, I mean, not only in their in as primitive as the character design was in 2012, but like in their facial structure. This is something Bethesda has always done well, is like facial structure, but mm-hmm. also their their characters are larger. Right, like Nord Nord yeah, humans right. are yeah. like the models are bigger. bigger. Yes, they have they're more yeah. yeah, like the orcs, kind of. Uh. Right. Yeah, well, yeah. So that's one one criticism I, I would make of the game too is that the main and this is this is a problem that they're going to have as a major game studio designing a game for everybody that needs to be inclusive. Mm. Is what reason is there that if you play as a Khajiit? You can make it into Sovngarde, right? It's like this mm-hmm. ancient, hallowed Nordic burial land, you know. And you're you're some cat person from the desert, and you're gonna make it in there. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't really fit. So this is like a, one of the mods I'd like to see is to actually make Skyrim more racially segregated or make those racial divisions uh, more pronounced. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that that. And I'm not making that criticism solely because of like my politics or something, but. I think that would actually make the universe much more believable. Whereas if you are, if you play as a Khajiit or you play as an orc, uh, you will be attacked by by Nords just like unprovoked. Or if you play as play as a Nord, conversely, 
then uh, you know you and you go to the dark quarter or the the gray quarter that is in what is it Windhelm um, that you can be just you know like abused by Jones, by the elves yeah. that live there yeah I you keep you, I, now I, I like well, I hadn't heard the word Khajiit since in a, in a long time and now I can't help but hear it as Pajit and like laugh to myself but that's a that's a me thing I I guess yeah. um, one of the things is that the yeah. stormcloaks don't make sense in that they're not like they're not genocidal because narratively specifically this is their homeland and every so other you wanna, character what's a stormcloak for our audience who maybe hasn't oh the stormcloaks are the based and red pilled uh pure Aryan Bavarian phenotype uh Nordic rebels against the evil Zionist occupied Imperial Empire <laughs> that's right that's right the Fa- the Falmore moneylenders yes are they called and moneylenders in the? It's been so long. Are they called moneylenders in the game, or is that just? No, but but the the similarities between them. And, they're long. Uh, and their noses are long, and their heads are often covered with hoods. Fascinating. Right, their noses are long. They're they're covered with hoods. They they prefer not to engage in their battles themselves. Mm-hmm. They use this this big gentile empire uh, as their as their you know invasion force um, to enforce their laws. They specifically that one of the main points of contention canonically for the Stormcloaks is banning of Talos worship, the the specifically Nordic god um, that they are you know in the process of tearing and they're tearing down his statues. Oh God, they're tearing down mm-hmm. the statues of Talos across. Talos Canada. is like the ultimate good guy, right? He's like the the one that we like. No. Yeah, he is. Uh, what is he? He's basically Siegfried slash Jesus mm-hmm. slash. Like Noah, like there's like a Noah's Ark thing going on in the, in the uh, founding myths, but the storm. Well, I was gonna say the stormcloaks because I think the game has to like cuck to liberal sensibilities. They should be like, get, like they should. There should be camps because <laughs> presumably this is like a racial nationalist movement in a middle in the Middle Ages, and it feels like every other character you see in this country is not a Nord, and this and like this is a major problem, right? You would assume that. They would like there is a replacement going on in these people. They are being replaced. The Imperial Army is like they allow orcs in the Imperial Army. And that's you know there's there's right. a lot more going. <laughs> there you go, folks. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, Stop like and, and you would think too that one of the first problems the Nords would try to solve would be the the orc settlements right across Skyrim, of which there are you know, four or five of them, and these people live. Like uh, autonomously in these these areas, like that would be a problem you would want to solve. I, I guess you can explain it though with the storyline of the game, in that the the empire, the the imperials, they already control Skyrim, and the stormcloaks are a rebellion force from within Skyrim. So I guess we don't know exactly at what point at what point of uh, subversion and ruination Skyrim is at when the game takes place. Yeah, maybe they had a waves of orc refugees coming, and the and the the prime minister was like, "Oh, we gotta let them in. These poor orcs." <laughs> yeah, yeah, the border controls, not. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Like with with Ulfric Stormcloak, so we should talk about this because people who who have played the game and um, it, it sounds like Lewis, like you've you've played this fairly extensively. Uh, do you remember the dossier? 
that's present in the Thalmor embassy on Ulfric Stormcloak? I remember it, but you have to jog the memory. I remember picking that letter up. You have to jog yeah, the memory, so though. There's that mesh mission where you have to go into the Thalmor embassy and pretend to be a party guest, and then I think the, the purpose is to steal some documents, and you inevitably end up fighting your way out of the embassy. Oh, you have to free a prisoner, too, I believe. And in there, you find these dossiers on various figures uh, throughout Skyrim. And one of the dossiers is on Ulfric Stormcloak. And it describes him as a former collaborator with the Thalmor. Although it says something like status unknown or status has become uncooperative. So this is what people will use to, to say that, well, Ulfric Stormcloak was actually just a gay op. So fan. Yeah, right. That he was a he was a Thalmor fed, and that the the um, and Imperials will actually have this line of dialogue in the game where they won't say that, but they'll say mm, he's Ulfric is just trying to divide Skyrim and make it easier for the Thalmor to conquer us. So there's there's that element to it where people will say that Ulfric is not fighting you know, in good faith or something. I I tend to disagree though because. If you play out the the storyline, at least in the the vanilla game, you do get you know total capture of Skyrim under Stormcloak control. Although I don't think the the Thalmor Embassy is ever expelled. That's kind of interesting. They don't uh, move the embassy. They don't push them into the sea as they as they very easily could. There's there's an interesting uh, thing there because obviously you there's that you can make that case that uh, Ulfric's a gay op, but. Ulfric also has the power to use like, like Nordic blood magic that presumably requires a level of, um, you know, devotion and seriousness to the cause. Mm -hmm. You know, it's he's like the only guy other than the player who can and the and the uh, and like the you know the monk analogs who can shout. So presumably, he's very very serious about the uh, at least the practice of the religion. Even if he has a gay up, he's 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 committed to it at some level. You can see him maybe as a Hitler analog in that way, where he was started as a gay op and then things rapidly got out of control. Um, or even like a, the Polish solidarity movement where it was initially seeded by the communists and then you know the people the people who run it say, oh, well, actually, what if we just ran this thing for real and they win? Right. Um, I right. prefer the yeah, Bin Laden like, narrative with uh, Ulfric. Yeah, no, that's that he's a, a good kind comparison. Of Bin Laden, he's a Bin Laden figure. He fought for the, the Viking Mujahideen initially... <laughs> And now he's uh, going independent. And they, they treated him, uh, the, the emperor had him treated in a Cyrodiilic hospital and uh, had the chance to kill him and never did. And then, then uh, oh yeah. yeah. I, okay, so here, here's from, the, here's a, I'm, reading, I'm gonna read now from the, uh, the fandom wiki. I think these actually, the, the, precisely to your point, James. Uh, early life history, Ulfric <laughs> Starbuck has an early life section on Wikipedia. <laughs> when Ulfric was young, he was chosen by the Greybeards to study with them. He was meant to become a Greybeard himself. After almost 10 years of training, Ulfric had learned the unrelenting force and disarm shouts. Then the Great War broke out between the Empire and the Third Aldmeri Dominion. Ulfric decided to take part in the Great War on the side of the Empire, where he fought alongside Legate Rike and Galmar Stonefist. During the war, Ulfric was captured by the Thalmor during their campaign for the White Gold Tower and interrogated by Elenwen, who later became the ambassador to Skyrim. Ulfric was led to believe that the information he provided led to the fall of the city, though it had in fact fallen before Ulfric had broken. After the interrogation, Ulfric was allowed to escape. And that's from uh, that's from the Thalmor dossier, which 
Uh, it's shorter. Here, why don't we? I'll just read that too, because uh, you mentioned it. Be uh, description: Jarl of Windhelm, leader of the Stormcloak Rebellion, Imperial Legion veteran. Background: Ulfric first claim first came to our attention during the first war against the Empire when he was taken as a prisoner of war during the campaign for the White Gold Tower. Under interrogation, we learned of his potential value, and he was assigned as an asset to the interrogator, who is now First Emissary Ellenwin. He was made to believe information obtained during his interrogation was crucial in the capture of the Imperial City. The city had, in fact, fallen before he had broken, and then allowed to escape. After the war, contact was established, and he has proven his worth as an asset. The so-called Markarth incident was particularly valuable from the point of view of our strategic goals in Skyrim, although it resulted in Ulfric becoming generally uncooperative to direct contact. Operational notes. Direct contact remains a possibility under extreme circumstances, but in general, the asset should be considered dormant. As long as the civil war proceeds in its current indecisive fashion, we should remain hands off. Uh, I'll end it there and note that this is extremely Jewy. Like <laughs> this idea that, I guess, so the Thalmor, the implication here is that they their interest in the civil war is just like the gay ops they're running in, in all the, the Arab nations surrounding Israel. It's like, we don't actually want anyone in control. We just want these people fighting civil wars between themselves, and we're going to do whatever we can to, to, to foment that. Right. Yeah, no, that's that's uh, how basically how I see it as well. But, like, the question is, though, is, and I suppose this is something that, that we can only answer hypothetically, if they win, and you don't ever see, and I don't believe in the game, if you play out the Civil War, uh, you know, to its to its conclusion, I don't think there's ever, like, a moment where they, because I haven't done this in a while, where they throw off, finally throw off the yoke of the Thalmor. I think they reinstate Talos worship, and the, the Talos statues come back, but... Yeah, it's like what what is the plan um, for for Skyrim? I will say though that a lot of the narrative reason for why oh the Empire must be united so we can fend off invasions you know from from elsewhere. It's like from whom? Who else is going to invade? <laughs> right. Or the Red Guards apparently. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay. With, so we got to have like orc source. settlements so we could defend against Red Guards. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. It's really like diversity is our strength. Like that's that's what yeah. you're told in the game, and they seem not to care about, at least in, um, what is it, in Oblivion there are like, Khajiit gypsy with caravans going. Like, the Empire doesn't seem to have any real interest in like defending any kind of human thing. It's just kind yeah. of like uh, a bureaucratic structure of an empire more than anything else. Some kind of some kind of a, some kind of a you know, GD, I, bet I bet there's a lot of GDP in this border though. I mean, the GDP is very high. <laughs> GDP nationalism. I mean, I. I mean, to be fair, I. I don't know. I'm not enough. I know a fair amount of Roman history. I'm definitely way less familiar um, with late Roman history than than with like early Republic history and you know like Caesar to uh, to Hadrian type time period stuff. Um, I know that by the by the by the time of the sort of you know by the 400s or so, um, it was no longer. The Roman Empire was was basically, yeah, it was like a bureaucratic structure that cared about its bureaucratic structure, kind of iron law of bureaucracy style, rather than having any particular interest in any kind of ethnic cohesion. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, there may be something to that generally or historically that may, you know, whether consciously or unconsciously uh, be something that they're drawing on or in addition to uh, the the kind of obviously like they're they're doing an americanism 
bit here. Their 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 liberal priors are kind of you know piercing through the the narrative in various ways. Um, but yeah, no, I, I mean, think you, it, you, you, you definitely could draw a, a relevant comparison between the end of the Roman Empire and what's happening in, uh, in in Tamriel in these Elder Scrolls games, especially especially this one, because in Oblivion, like you mentioned, Lewis, you get the feeling that the Empire is weak and doesn't really have much interaction with the people. But then you go to Skyrim, which is geographically pretty far removed from from Cyrodiil, and the Empire, the, the Imperial presence isn't really felt very much you know you go around and you see the occasional imperial control but much of the the control actually as it was with the romans is delegated to the regional you know the regional leaders the jarls in this case and then is left to their enforcement right which is why you have the the uh, local soldiers being being uh, you know will fight alongside uh, imperial soldiers but they they're not um you know they're, well, not, they're also- not imperials themselves they're well, also, the Ulfric campaign, if you choose the Stormcloaks, is deposing all the anti-Ulfric, uh, what are they called? Not governors, but Jarls. Jarls, yeah, that's right. And you just replace them with friendly Jarls. Uh, and it's it's kind of like supposed to be a function of, like, it, Skyrim is map-based like map based on, like, Switzerland more than anything else. It's, cause it's kind of that circular shape, and these are con- confederacies of uh, holds. Cantons, so I, I, you mean, a kind of cantons, thing? Cantons, yes, that's the yeah. word. Yeah, it's definitely what's kind of going on in terms of, like, the map. And I think that's a function of reflecting that. But uh, it is interesting that, like, it is a it is a mountain people, so they are kind of naturally very different. And Skyrim does this very well, where the culture of the holds is... You can tell there is a unique uh, culture in every hold, and some are, like... Obviously, some are kind of generic. This one is the shitty one, <laughs> or this one is the... Uh, this one is the Imperial one, or this one is the Nord one. But, like, for instance, the, uh, like the Nordic... Uh, what is it, Winterhelm having the, or having the, uh, like a, a Dark Elves quarter is interesting, like, because it's a, it makes sense because it's like a port city, they would have, maybe they would have some level of, uh, uh, immigration, I guess, but that, that it is still like the, the Nord capital is, it is like, uh, Nordic, I, what, what do you call it, Torabora, where Bin Laden's hiding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It, it it make it all make it all makes a good makes a good deal of sense, and also it's like the most it's also like with the coldest one and the most inhospitable to non Nords like in terms of weather. So that's right, I, I, and I don't think you ever get like Khajiits going up there. Maybe maybe occasionally there's a you know, Khajiit caravan, but you don't have a lot of like native population diversity. And you compare that to like Falkreath, right, which is in the swamp. And there, there are like a lot of different. That's where the Dark Brotherhood sets up. Maybe we should talk about the Dark Brotherhood too. Yeah, let's and, do it. And like, what is that allegorical for? What do you think it is? I don't. You know, I, I, I don't know. I think at the surface level, and you guys might have some deeper interpretations than this. The the Dark Brotherhood is just exemplar of this empire being in decline, where you have a group of people that is that is out there doing murder for hire. And, you know, they dress it up as, as a, the Dark Mother and, like, this religious, uh, having this, like, religious and spiritual connection to it. But as you play through the Dark Brotherhood storyline, you get to the point where it's basically just murder for hire. You know, you're talking, and funny enough, like, who is the guy who handles the murder for hire? It's the Red Guard. You know, I think his name is Nazir, who 
It's like, hey, yo, we got some bounty, you know, 2,000 gold to go whack this guy. And then you just go do it. So all of this, this like, spirituality it sheds itself off, and, and it's revealed that, no, this is, this is there's nothing, um, there's nothing, like, uh, higher about this. This is just murder for hire. I don't know. This is the kind of thing that can only, can only be happening in an empire that's, that's in decline. And like you mentioned earlier, Lewis, has no interest in protecting its citizens, because who are you killing in these Dark Brotherhood quests? You're killing just like miners and traders and merchants. You're, you're just ravaging you know, the, the people. You're not you're not killing like major targets. Although yeah, there's definitely the, an eyes wide shut kind of vibe to it. Yeah, where it's it's like and also you I think a couple of the of the uh, murders give you like a good bit of money, but most of them don't actually. It's kind of I think it's supposed to be implied that you're like getting a satisfaction out of doing it, and they're also very easy. Like profoundly easy. The missions are not like there's like one that requires like getting a fucking disguise and then you're in. There, it's it's. I think it's. I think the Dark Brotherhood is kind of it's it's a kind of a. It's a little bit fourth wall breaky. I think there's a little bit of commentary going on like what are you doing in Skyrim kind of thing. Right. Where they're being a little too smart for their own good. Where they're just like because they like, towards the end once you complete it, the hits are like kill. Day laborer. In yes. location, <laughs> and you go and you kill day laborer in location, and it's like good job, you know. I I think there's a level of, uh, it's a little self-aware there. Yeah, I think I, there's oh, also, I don't, uh, yeah, please. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you you first. I was gonna say there's an element to it where where the Dark Brotherhood, even more so than things like the Mages College, um, or the Thieves Guild, is the least Nordic element of Skyrim. In fact, everything about the Dark Brotherhood is opposed to what are these Nordic values. Like, what are the Nordic values? What is a traditional uh, celebrated Nordic warrior? It's the guy who runs headlong into battle with, with a big two-handed uh, war hammer to face his enemies head-on. But how are you supposed to kill as a member of the Dark Brotherhood? Well, you're supposed to use uh, the Blade of Woe and do an assassination from behind the back, sneak up on somebody, or, or use archery and then kill someone without being seen. And the, you, you see this, too, exemplified in the membership of the Dark Brotherhood, right? There, there are only, I want to say, two Nords in it, uh, that being the, the woman and then the guy who, for some uh, inexplicable reason, like, has a warhammer. It's like, who are you going to assassinate sneakily with this, like, massive weapon? But everybody else is Redguard, or Cicero is, is an Imperial, or, uh, you know, there's a lot of diversity in the Dark Brotherhood. And and so I think it, it it also speaks to the the differences, not only in in the way the different races conduct violence to achieve their goals, but uh, but the, the goals themselves. Because the Nords, you know, the, the the most violent Nord faction being the Stormcloaks, you know, they're fighting for honor. They're fighting to to die an honorable death in Sovereign. For their homeland. I mean, for their fatherland. Right. Yeah. Right. No, th- th- I think those are all fantastic points, James. And and um, to to your point about the um, <clears throat> the Dark Brotherhood being a symptom of an empire in decline, I think that's extremely well put. And and um, the the thing that it makes me uh, most th- that it's most re- reminiscent of to me is, uh, is is the cult of Santa Muerte in in Mexico, right? This kind of like I wouldn't even say quasi-Catholic. I mean, it's just a straight up. I mean, basically they're worshiping death. In a very evil way, as a as a kind of you know satanic perversion of a Christian saint, 
And um, and this is the kind of patron of the cartels, right? And these, you know, just hyper-violent criminals, I mean, in real life, um, who are just, you know, drug dealers and human traffickers and, 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 and sex traffickers. And um, the, the, the way that they have a kind of religious interaction with, with quote, Saint Death, Santa Muerte, I think is very similar structurally to, to what's going on in, in, in much the same way that, you know, the, the collapse of um, central authority in, in parts of northern Mexico and, and now seeping across the border into the United States is the American, you know, Zog imperial government is less and less able or willing or both to, to exert its will that we see more and more of this stuff. And it's really just a matter of time, I think, until we start seeing um, white Americans um, participate in, in the cult of Santa Muerte as well. Were you going to jump in on that, Lewis, for a second? Or Yes, because so I th- there's also the other element of uh, Dark Brotherhood is that it's in the other games and therefore it kind of has to be in this one mm. because it kind of exists to be contrasted with the Companion Guild who are very Nordic and do have the, they are like the adventuring heroes attacking from the front. I think the, the Dark Brotherhood is really a, and also it's a much more fleshed out like uh, quest line the companion stuff, and it, I think I think a lot of that is just exists to be a uh, a foil for the other one. Yeah, I, well, and that was the other point I wanted to make was was um, to to your to your point, Lewis, about the um, it's a little too cute for its own good. Uh, I totally agree. I mean, the sense that I got playing the the Dark Brotherhood um, quest line was and, and and have gotten through in the other games as well is like everybody everybody wants to dip their toes into or you there's this temptation with these kinds of games because like nope you know there's a certain kind of gamer who just wants to be the goody two-shoes all the time but that's really dumb and boring like obviously you know people want to misbehave and and sort of see what happens when you misbehave um or just have the kind of vicarious thrill um maybe like a personal note but but uh when i was playing oblivion um this was a long time ago i had a kind of uh, a younger uh family member um who was just kind of you know getting into video games and, and and this this younger family member of mine was was like uh uh at one point i just sort of walked away from the from the tv for a few minutes and i came back and and there were a bunch of um a bunch of uh you know guards imperial guards chasing them i was like what happened they're like well you know i accidentally pickpocketed a bunch of people i'm like accidentally <laughs> you know um but uh yeah i i think the i think the the dark brotherhood um the Dark Brotherhood quest lines that, that in in these games are, are very much a way to sort of like, um, in a in a in a basically structured way that the game explicitly mechanically rewards you for to do just heinous evil shit and and do the kind of murder assassin stuff, um, in a way that it's 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 not only not punishing you for or at least mechanically not really that severely. Um, or within the kind of confines of the, the the legal system, such as it is, but but um, with this kind of uh, higher purpose and and yeah, it, it it kind of it falls a little bit flat. Um, definitely for the kind of tonal, it, it's completely out of place tonally in, in Skyrim. I, I think it makes way more sense in Oblivion, where there's kind of yeah, you have this kind of demonic invasion of the Imperial Heartland um, that's already kind of collapsing, but. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tonally it's like well we don't want to punish you as the player we actually want to reward you for completing this quest line, but also it's kind of really bad. But the point this this whole you know even as of the release of Skyrim nine years ago or whenever it was that that uh, 
you know, um, the, at that point it was already kind of old that, that video games often ask you to do horrible evil things and kill people for basically no reason. Um, and you, you, you as the player often just kind of, you know, go along with it. This is one of the, this was the big twists of course in Bioshock and, and, and other stuff besides. So, so yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't know how, how well it ultimately works. I, I think that's a really interesting point in that people need a pressure release valve, especially in an open world game like this, to experiment with those game mechanics that you wouldn't otherwise see. Because in, and I think this is almost like a personality test for the player. Uh, because when I first played it as a, as a like mid-teenager, young teenager, I did the Dark Brotherhood stuff. And then I was like, whoa, bro. I can sneak up behind somebody and just slit their throat. And I think by the end of that playthrough, like half the NPCs in the game were gone because I just like spent all the time instead of doing the quest, <laughs> just going around like, hmm, how I wonder if I, I could murder this person. Yeah. yeah, this random NPC who I may need for something else, but I don't really care because I have like level, you know, 70 archery and I can just blow them away with an arrow. Let's see if I can do it. And then it's like you end up doing that and and you meet some consequence for doing that because a lot of the a lot of the then quests are then out of reach. Like you've killed uh, like not essential characters because you can't kill them, but like semi-essential characters are gone. And then when I played through again last year, I, I, I don't know if this is just a f uh, function of like coming into our politics and, and having a, a sense of, you know, a stronger, maybe just getting older, having a stronger sense of morality, right and wrong, as, as gay as that sounds to apply to, you know, an open world video game. But I didn't want to do anything like that. I, I played it as though there was the Fallout honor mechanic, even though there isn't that same mechanic mm -hmm. um, in in Skyrim. And so I didn't murder anybody. I didn't kill anybody unless it was essential for, for a quest or unless they were threatening me. You or didn't what have gent gentrify you. Skyrim? I didn't. <laughs> Granted, I, I didn't complete the playthrough, so maybe that would have been the next uh, the next option is going to the Nor the Nor or the uh, Orc encampments. And uh, reclaiming that land for ourselves, but yeah, like that, that's an interesting point: is that people they do want to to do evil, and they they do want to feel, especially in a game like, and that's why why do so many people play video games? It wants to have that experience of doing something that they can't mm -hmm. in real life. It's a, and Dark yeah, Brotherhood gives that outlet. Yes, it's there's there's I, I, I'm sort of like I'm, I, I sort of mentioned this earlier. Um, I. Uh, and it's a recurring theme on this show, and I, I apologize maybe to my audience, but I think it's it's probably it's good for me to talk these things out and think them through, and because um, I'm, I'm I'm wrestling with this question of like what even is a video game, or or does it even make sense to 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 you know think of it as a as a game or at what level? I mean, at some level, you know, like what does it have in common with basketball and or chess, right? Um, or as a medium, or can you even compare it at that level? I mean, I. I more and more tend to think, um, I don't know, like I, I hate like dumb acronyms that only make sense to me. I, I think that's just a narcissistic way to, to, to proceed. And I try to, I, I don't always succeed, but I, I try, to, try, to, try to be on guard against narcissism wherever I can. Um, but I really do think that like video game, I mean, the, the, the term itself, right, comes, I, I believe, out of um, essentially like, things like video poker, like gaming in the sense of gambling. And and the first like quote video games were were essentially like like video poker and and things like that uh, that then you know people realized were were um, were were you could do other things with it right you, and then you, of course you had the MIT and and space war and all this stuff but um, 
I believe that's where the term itself comes from. And, uh, and I, the more I sit with it, the more that I feel that, that like, okay, well, what is a video game or what do we mean by video game? It's, it's something like, a, like, like it's a medium. I mean, the same way it's a genre maybe of, of media, the way that we think of, you know, a novel, like fiction as a genre, um, as a, as a super genre or, or, uh, you know, paint visual art, um, as a, as a genre, it's it's a genre of a medium. Like it's it, what is what sets it apart from other types of media, is uh, number one the 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 presence, the necessity of some kind of um, computer, right? It's like computer based medium, and number two that it's interactive. If it's not interactive, it's not a it's not a video game, right? Or it's not you know whatever. I, I was thinking about this uh, the other day. I was like interactive computer based media, ICBM, you know, kind of cheeky, but. I don't know if that works, but but the point is, um, okay. So then, when, let's say let's say we have these kind of two things that define quote video games as such, and it's like okay, well then, well then what, what how deeper would you want to go? And I think uh, the, as I'm sort of thinking through it, uh, the I see basic broadly kind of two like a, a twofold distinction within that, where where number one is you have a certain kind of power fantasy. Um, which is definitely what you were talking about, James, and, and I think fits in mm-hmm. that kind of a mold, and which is what this is fundamentally is about: is is like you, the player, become more more powerful. It's about you know you and and it's like all of the kind of aesthetic elements. I mean, the art direction and the and the uh, uh, sonic direction, you know, the, the music and the sounds and all this stuff is in these kinds of games, or is this in this in that mold, or at that end of the spectrum. Is is about you know getting you the player to typically you don't you you don't start the most powerful you there's like a power curve right where you you become more powerful over time as the game progresses until you head towards the end and then the other end of the spectrum um, I have a little it's a little less fleshed out in my mind but the basic idea is um, something about like a flow state you know this this uh, state where you're you're like there's a feedback loop and you are engrossed your intention is engrossed because you are you're sort of learning in a kind of kinesthetic or tactile or, or even just purely mental sense, um, you know, how the game works, how it is designed, um, which is where some something, because in, in a power fantasy, difficulty isn't even necessarily so important or even necessarily present at all. You may get bored if it's just way too easy, or you may not. Sometimes people really like just completely, you know, um, very easy experiences. But there's another kind of player that really likes, or, or another kind of um, direction you can go in as a designer, which is where you're really concerned with, you know, um, me- the mechanics of the game and um, and getting people into a certain kind of flow state where they are, um, you know, they're, they're using their brains and maybe also their their um, hand-eye coordination and, and kind of kinesthetic tactile um, faculties in a, in a kind of feedback loop to to overcome the challenges that you as a designer have set before them. And, and you see that in everything from like Dark Souls to um, to strategy games, right? And civilization is, I think, notorious. It's a, the single probably best example of this flow state that I'm talking about, where it's just just one more turn, just one more turn, just one more turn, mm-hmm. and suddenly it's 4 a.m. Right? Um, <laughs> so so it's not a question of like, is it an action game or an RPG or a strategy game or or whatever? So much as like that kind of flow state, that difficulty um, feedback loop that you're in as a player with the designers thing on the one end of the spectrum and the other end of the spectrum is a power fantasy and of course these things you know you can bounce back and forth or the games are going to incorporate kind of both of these it's it's a it's not a hard and fast binary type of thing uh, i sound like a leftist now but but i think you get you, i think you get what i'm saying and um and that i think uh 
Yeah, Skyrim is definitely, definitely very, very, and, and the Elder Scrolls games generally, and Bethesda games even just generally, are are very much on the kind of power fantasy. Like, they're not, that was one of the things that I found, um, or maybe, you know, now that I'm talking about it, thinking about it, I, I, it was sort of at the heart or, or of my um, inability to finish the campaign in Skyrim was I just didn't feel mechanically challenged, or it didn't feel, it was just sort of you click the left mouse button a whole bunch of times to, you know, do some amount of damage over time to enemies and then it just sort of like proceeds from there um and and i like personally i i enjoy very much that that other i, I need some more in that other end of the spectrum to to feel engaged but i want to hear what you all have to say about about all that i find with bethesda games generally you need to be very aggressive at changing the difficulty settings to keep the game fun because the level scaling isn't always great sometimes it's too hard sometimes it's too easy but you can be pretty, so you should be pretty aggressive, making it easy, harder, or wherever you want to be. But then I'm not going to um, get my achievement, bro. <laughs> well, you know. Sorry. What you achieve, achievements are a psyop. I totally, yeah. I, 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 they're always clawing at the back of my mind, like, if I change the difficulty setting, I won't get the, the badge for the, I completed this on hard. Anyway, sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, I th- but I think you have to make your own fun. I agree that I think, f- in terms of, like, the actual like, combat, I think Fallout has the better system where it's kind of a, puzzle game or like a turn-based puzzle game with the uh, VATS stuff whereas Skyrim is more traditional but I think also Skyrim has enough going on with like the sneaking and the power attack stuff like you, you there is hidden depth to Skyrim's combat I think it requires a certain like you should like 20 it's, it's like a JRPG you gotta be like 20 hours deep to get the real fun out of the combat but yeah cause, but definitely to the, in the end initially it's very clunky it's very kind of uh, you're Basically, a floating sword, getting hit a lot. You don't really like. It takes, a, it takes a long time to kind of see through the matrix and understand Skyrim's combat as like a fun thing for sure. Yeah, you almost wish that they and this would have been a lot less accessible, but that it, they had gone more true to medieval combat um, and like sword play, like in the sense that Mordhau did. I don't know if you guys have played Mordhau. I'm but, familiar with it. I haven't played it, but I know exactly what you maybe explain it a little for our for our listeners. Yeah, so instead of it just being like left button, right button, block and and attack, uh, in Mordhau you have like you need to move you and this probably wouldn't work for console players, so I, I'm guessing this is why they didn't do it. Um and it would be too complex. But if this if the attack is coming in from your left, then you need to move to the right to do your parry, or you you can thrust if they you know, if they have their their uh, midsection open like the this direction that the swords are coming at actually is what's critical to getting the combat correctly uh, and doing it correctly or doing a correct block you can't just like press the block button you need to block in the right direction and uh, do you know like a riposte to, to you know thrust back into them so it's it's more complex combat and it gets in Mordhau it's actually really difficult when you have like two guys attacking you you can't just like block, block, swing, swing, block, block, like you can in uh, in Skyrim, or just like run, run, or run away and have a longer weapon than them and and hit them and kill them. So I don't know, like maybe that would have made it more more engaging. I, you know, it's funny though. My criticism of Skyrim has never been with the the combat um, system. I've always found that to be like just fine, not great, not horrible, but but just fine because. In at least in the way that I've played Skyrim, like the combat has never been, uh, combat has been, if anything, like a distraction 
away from from getting the quest. Maybe that's just sure. the way that I approach it. No, I think I think well, that's how it's designed, intended, and designed. Sorry, what were you going to say, Lewis? Well, I also find Skyrim has a lot of like a lot of the things in Skyrim that are fun, like to do actual like two-handed sword fighting in a fun way, or two-handed sword fight, or any of the kind of techniques they have in the game. You need to level them up to all the way to a hundred, which is kind of a bizarre system that you need to use this in its unfun way so much that often that it gets fun and you hold the special moves for the class and that I, w- I would think it actually is poor design that you don't get to actually have fun in the class until you finish leveling it up which is kind of a bizarre choice to make uh, in terms of design I mean I understand if it's an RPG these things these things work that way but the fact that you don't like hit it to level 90 with a weapon I totally agree well that was my thing with the dragon bone that I mentioned earlier I was like at first, at first, you know, I, I like leveled to a certain point, so I, I was like, okay, well, these enemies are a little too hard. I'm, I'm getting hit a little too hard. I need better armor, so I'll make some better armor. And then I very quickly found I was, it was just, you know, it, there was a, just a very negative feedback loop of in order to get higher, uh, in order to craft higher materials, I needed to get yeah. Ultimately, I don't know if it was ninety or hundred. It was very high, and it took a while. And I was like, this is, and then it ended up being pointless anyway. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you're absolutely right, James. That that the. Um, the combat is very much an afterthought, at least at least generally speaking. I, I can't, I guess, speak to. I don't know if it gets that much more interesting um, midway through or, or whatever. You know, three quarters of the way through or something. But um, I, I think either way, it's it's clearly not a design focus. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the the most fun I had was was definitely just wandering around and sort of like, oh look, there's a cave. Oh, I guess it has some dwarven ruins. Oh, that's cool. And just kind of poking, which I, I that also seems to be sort of where they where they're going with it from a design direction, rather than you know any kind of um, um, thinking about it in, in in like mechanical terms very deeply on the design side. It, one of the great things with the dungeons in Skyrim is that there's always a back door out, so you don't have to retrace yes. your steps 100, percent which is wonderful and a great quality of life thing. And I'm sure there was a vicious debate internally over like D and D purism of retracing the whole map at the end of a dungeon versus the convenience of just the back door and I'm very happy well, I'm thankful they, they didn't they didn't do like a Pokemon original games and make it so you need like an escape rope or something to get out right <laughs> where you, you get deep into this dungeon or tunnel and it's like oh god now I have to find my way out in the dark but no there's there's just a, a just door. a little exit hatch yeah yeah well that and also like the clairvoyant spell are like very are excellent like sops to like where the fuck do I go in this RPG is often a problem like how do I walk towards the right spot and those there's a lot of like that's why I think Skyrim is, is going is like the kind of the definitive Elder Scrolls game for the vast majority of people is because it is it it has a lot of the hidden depth in the fighting and all these other like subsystems but also has the quality of life stuff that makes the game enjoyable to play without like a kind of a that like glutton for punishment stuff you get with older RPGs. It, it's a, it's a, it's, it's the, it's the, it's like kind of the, a great mix of like the normie friendly, and also you don't have to like crawling through a wiki the entire time unless you want to. Unlike with say like, in Fallout, it's like do what, what if I do X Y Z quest wrong, I can't, like I lose access to half the game and stuff. Whereas, you really, you're never too locked in with Skyrim or anything unless yeah. you make that choice very clearly. And it's like for instance, if you in Fallout, if you like, if you detonate the bomb in Fallout Three, you can't do a bunch of stuff in the in the main in Megaton. But if you pick Imperials or Stormcloaks in Skyrim, you can still do the companion stuff. You can still do all the stuff. It doesn't really affect 
what the player does. Well, it's definitely be, more I, I, wiki. I, I, please yeah. go, James, please. Oh, I wonder if that is like sort of the problem that, that DK that you have with it in that nothing you do seems very consequential. Yes. And I wonder if, if that's part of why you never re really fully engage because you make these choices and do things that, for example, in Fallout, in Fallout, you, you fail a speech check in some conversation and it can have massive implications. Yeah. But in Skyrim, you could like kill somebody's spouse. And, <laughs> and they just don't even like, notice. Yeah. Great to see you, Dragonborn. And you're like, what? <laughs> I think you hit the nail on the head, James. That's I I, uh, I, I try to like, I don't know. I, um, another thing I think a lot about when with this stuff is is narratives, right? And, and you know, um, video games are notorious for kind of having poor narratives. There are some exceptions, um, but but generally even the kind of best video game narrative would would just pales in comparison to like you know reading a Dostoevsky novel or something. Okay, maybe that's the you know pinnacle of the form, but I think again you, people understand what I'm saying. Um, nevertheless, I I am a sucker for a good narrative. I often need some kind of narrative hook and for there to be some kind of narrative stakes. And and yeah, definitely Fallout. Even in the even in the vignettes, even you know the side quests in Fallout, I find tend to be. Um, you know, they don't necessarily have to be super long or super involved, but but uh, especially in I think New Vegas is is you know the best of the 3D Fallout's, and um, and but even in Fallout 3 and, and Fallout 4, there there's some really great side quests and and some things that make you think and 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 you know you feel like there's some kind of narrative stakes, versus uh, yeah even with the you know the, the closest you ever get in in Skyrim is the is the like the guild quests, and uh, what I was gonna say before is is these all these all feel very modular like. You would think that you know if you if you ascend all the way up the ranks of the of the companions that that this would pose some kind of problem to your ascending all the way up in the in the ranks of the of the um, Dark Brotherhood and vice versa, right. but actually right. it just has just doesn't it's just well, completely independent, right? Or, or I think my my favorite example of this is the Mages Guild because right? I in none of my playthroughs have I ever messed around with magic. I've never learned magic, never learned any spells. You're able to achieve the the presidency of the Mages Guild without knowing a single spell, exactly, or without ever ever using magic once. So. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I exactly, and and um, so so it's it's just one of these situations where, and and not only that, it's like okay, so you can become the president of the Mages Guild and the top Dark Brotherhood assassin and the top companion and and whatever one or two other. I forget the those are the big threes. I forget what else there is, and the, of course you know the and and do all this stuff. But but at the same time, it's like yeah, everybody just kind of it, it never really, it never really seems to have much narrative impact. Not, not, nothing that you do in the world really seems to to change it or to matter. Compared, I mean, you know, Fallout Three. You know, we're going to discuss Fallout. I, I think we're going to separate two D Fallout from from three D Fallout because they're kind of almost two different series in a lot of ways. But um, for all the criticisms that, that you may want to make of, of Fallout Three, and it was disappointing in certain ways, coming coming immediately after it was the first sequel after the two D games. Um, Megaton was a huge statement, right? This idea mm -hmm. that like we're in this a very dynamic world where you as the player have the ability to literally wipe out one of the settlements with an atomic bomb in the middle of it um, as a result of your actions uh, and, and all of the kind of ramifications that flow from that. Okay, no, it doesn't, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's still a video game. It's still not, you know, there, there are hard limits on what the what the designers and programmers are able to achieve in terms of the you know overarching impact but still like the game responds very well to that and, and you you it doesn't feel i mean i uh i only ever um exploded the bomb in megaton once just sort of to see what happened and it saved immediately beforehand and then immediately reverted because i couldn't mm -hmm. 
I couldn't deal with like, I'm not going to do that. You know, um, I never had any similar qualms about anything I ever did in any Elder Scrolls game. Right. And and how much more interesting would the game have been if you choose to play either as the Imperials or as the Stormcloaks and part of the, you know, one of the mission, because the problem with the those storylines, I think, is that you're only ever killing anonymous soldiers. You're never really killing anybody of consequence. You're never facing a hard choice. You're going up, oh, I have to kill this legion of Imperials or kill this legion of Stormcloaks. How much more interesting would it have been if for the the final, you know, mission in uh, in on the Imperial quest line, you have to genocide Windhelm, genocide it, kill yeah. everybody, war crimes, because, women and children. Right, that's what, right, that, like, that's what it would take, right? And if this, you know, well, in, and if they kind of tease it in that the like for that mission, Windhelm's map changes. If you, I've played them, I've played them both out all the way, and the the town, like the city's being sacked, it's burning until the mission. I think you do end up killing uh, Ulfric, and then there's a loading screen. And the city's back to normal. Uh, yes, they, which is you know it's 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 real. Or, or the first the first battle in uh, in Gawatsa City, where the first battle takes place um, on either side, the one right there in the middle of the map. I I forget its name, um, but yeah, like this is a war. Right, this city's being sieged. As you walk in on the the imperial side, or no. I've, what city is it? The one, the f- very first one. It's like the main one. one, the starting city. I don't know what you're talking about, starting city. It don't matter. Yeah, like not not Helgen, but the first one of, of the war quest line. And I forget which side it is. I, I think it's the, the Nords that are um, attacking the city. And you walk in and there's like artillery, right? Catapults or, or trebuchets, and it's like being attacked. And then you walk into the city and, oh, there's just a couple like barricades set up. A couple things on fire, you know. There's no actual like, fighting going on between between civilians, and you would think, especially with these these citizens that you meet in the game that have this NPC dialogue, how strongly they feel either way. You know, these are people who would be taking up arms either to defend their city or to to help in the overthrow of their city. The, the civilians, I, I believe, you can go through if you play the Civil War quest line first. You can go through the entirety of the game without there being a single civilian casualty, which, granted, maybe that's part of a function of, of like, structural game limitations, as in they couldn't program enough NPCs to be present on screen. You know, more than, like, 20 NPCs on screen, and, and the game, mm. at least in its vanilla state, would break. But you now, with, with the, um, the lack of limitations we have, um, I, maybe this is something that's been addressed by modding. Uh, I know there's, like, a populated cities mod but that's always something that that made the civil war seem really inconsequential is at the end of it okay some some of the jarls change but other than that and we don't see imperial patrols other than that like i i think there needs to be especially if it's taking place in this kind of like middle ages context there would be war crimes happening you know even if the nords are the good guys like they would still be doing war crimes against against uh you know the imperials you would still have to, and maybe a better better place for this would be you need to go and genocide Thalmor. And these are not Thalmor that are necessarily in the power structure. It's not the ambassador. They're not Thalmor guards. But you need to go kill high elf civilians in order to prevent them from from ever uh, you know acting as as spies of the the Thalmor power structure. Or conversely, if you're playing for the Imperials, you need to kill a, 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 a Nord settlement. Because any one of these people could be could be baby Hitler, right? They could be the next uh, Ulfric Stormcloak. So, yeah, I think if you wanted to, like, Skyrim does a good job 
in telling an interesting story. And as you mentioned earlier, Lewis, like engaging with some of this, these racial considerations that are not present in other games. But at, at the end of the day, it's still a game by a major studio intended for wide release. So they can't really, they don't have the ability to fully explore those topics to to their logical conclusions or perhaps realistic conclusions. Yeah, I definitely agree with, with that assessment. And um, I think is another example of... Um, which I don't, it's not even, it's not a question of blame anyway, but, but, uh, this is, this is, you know, obviously sort of liberal priors resulting in, um, the pulling of punches of, of narrative and, and even mechanical punches, uh, because it's, I don't, I, I guess, no, the game mechanically prevents you from, from harming children, right? Like child NPCs, mm -hmm. but, um, not civilians, obviously, generally speaking, or adult civilians. So, uh, and, and even the kind of decision to not let you kill children is like, I mean, I wonder what the thought process going into that is because I mean, okay. It's like on the one hand, obviously sort of, why would someone want to do this on the other? We're no, we're, we're no, it's not the 1990s anymore. And, uh, this sort of like moral majority kind of, you know, moral horror and stuff well, is, yeah, they couldn't sell the game. If oh, is that a thing? Oh, I didn't realize that that would. Yeah, could, that makes sense that there could be. Yeah, and and parents would not buy it for their thirteen-year-old if they could kill kids in it. Maybe I, I mean, but I, I guess is that just a reflection of of Clown World, where where you know you can buy a tranny simulator, but not uh, you know child murder simulator. Uh, well, I, I think guess. also we got to remember these are all uh, every children is interestingly because I think it's a level of laziness. They're all Nordic children. There's no <laughs> right. There's yes. a yeah, the, the demographic war is already won in terms of Skyrim. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Skyrim belongs to Nords, you know, uh, if you will. So that which is an interesting thing that they never, they didn't think to program. A, a, like a like Skyrim belongs to everybody, you know. We are the world. Type. Yeah. Well, interestingly, yeah. I wonder like if the, if a if a gamer hypothetically would have less compunction about killing like an, a, a lizard kid because I would probably I wouldn't care. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'll, or, or an orc kid. That's one of the uh, the oldest like. D and D debates is like, do you kill orc and goblin kids? And the answer is yes, like obviously, you know. Yeah, they grow up to be orcs. Yeah. So you know. But yeah, no, I, I the science is set. The science is settled. You have to really <laughs> listen, listen to some, listen to the experts. Um. <laughs> yeah. No. I. I. It's. But it's. I. I. Uh, on the narrative point. Yeah. I mean. It's. It's. It's frustrating. I mean. I, okay. Well, you could say. Well, if there's legal and and other reasons why. Why they may not want to allow you to 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 kill children specifically, fine. But 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 yeah, even just the concept of like civilian casualties in this kind of a conflict, or or really any wide scale conflict, um, particularly in a medieval type setting, it's um, I think even I mean obviously it's all abstracted, but I mean like you you play civilization or total war games, they're they're pretty upfront about like yeah, when you lay siege, there's civilians who die. Like, yeah. You, well, you zoom in on the city and you hear like the screams, right? Yeah, exactly. In, in Civ. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so um, I don't know. It's um, well, I, and I think that not only it's it's not only about the children, but but especially and maybe if you're like you know grug like gamer, it's like, bro, I like to use the sword, man, and the 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 do the combat. Like maybe you don't think about things like this, but for people like us who who are playing this. Um, and I think most people who end up getting really immersed in Bethesda games probably are of a little bit higher intelligence 
Um, I mean, how amusing can they be? Just like run, shoot, kill, hit. Uh, but uh, people who it takes a who really high IQ to appreciate the Elder Scrolls. <laughs> the humor is extremely subtle. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. I'm dying, sorry. Exactly. I mean, you know, to an extent, though, it's it's not wrong, um, because like having a grasp, or, or I would say you can probably have fun with this as an absolute mongoloid, but you you don't really appreciate it unless you you understand like the connections with north mythology and and valhalla and and these racial ideas so it, go ahead well speaking of that this, well, i kind of want to transition to dk how does dk feel about like uh the nordic buddhism that's kind of like the central hidden thing of the game and that the norse religion is actually like so there's talos worship and there's also like the shamanic stuff that these graybeards are doing, and there and like and there is like literally a, a like a Buddha figure in this game. But how, how, how do you, is this like is is uh what is he, what is the phrase? Is this like the graybeard religion, the ultimate uh, like hyperborean? I didn't get that far, thing. maybe mm. far enough to. Where, so who is? Tell me more about this graybeard Buddha. Oh, right so now. so the graybeards you got. Obviously, they're in like the mainline quest. You go to them, and they coach you up on you know the shouts and all the stuff, and they're they're monks who are vow of silence all that stuff uh if you play all the way through the main campaign you have a point where you have to go meet like the grand master and you uh you do a bunch of quests for the graybeard stuff it's it's fairly standard fare and then you go up and they let you go up to the mountain like all the way to the tip of the mountain top and you meet the kind of, he's very much like a buddha figure he's the immortal eternal grand master of the uh white beards or gray beards and he's a dragon who defeated his evil dragon nature. Oh yeah, right. And learned yeah, the human yeah, language. Yeah, right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um Well, I will say this. I will say this. Uh Skyrim is a very harsh, very high altitude place, a lot of mountains, mountain people, practicing a fusion of kind of shamanism with this kind of overarching Buddhist quasi-Buddhist thing in the context of a kind of pre-existing polytheistic thing. Sounds a lot like Tibet to me. Hmm. There's a lot of angles you can go with that, yeah. Also, I'm interested in the uh, the, the Hyperborea connection. Uh, As we we all know, (laughs) as we all know, the the white man is descended from aliens that that crashed. Indeed. uh, indeed. And, uh, you know, left Agartha and... And well, um, the, yeah, and so so I'm wondering the, if the dragons are actually an allegory for the UFOs on which our ancestors <laughs> arrived in this yeah. world. Well, the founding myth of Skyrim is that like 200 or 500 Nords went escaped. It's kind of Lord of the Ringsy. They like they escape in a in a ship to Skyrim and found Skyrim with a uh, Talos. So there there's definitely they fled Agartha as it fell to the Thalmor or whatever. whatever. And the uh, you know and, that, and that's that's the origin. It's kind of like a Noah's Ark slash, which is Noah's Ark is arguably you know one of these early uh, mm-hmm. Agartha fling tales. Another thing that's I wanted to ask DK about is, uh, did you play many of the like uh, Daedra side? So like the high level Daedra quests? No, but I mean I know so the Daedra thing. Yeah. Once you get pretty far back, like f- pretty high level, uh, you'll get like these spawn these quests will, lines will spawn where you. Essentially, uh, it's kind of one of the things that keep you interested in the game because it can you get once you get to the point of you're too basically too powerful, 
and the game kind of recognizes it, you get these kind of bizarre puzzle quests for the Daedric gods, who are these seven, like, essentially, like, demons. They're all, all kind of trickster gods. But one of the funny thing is, and the same thing with the Companions quest and the Thieves Guild quest and the uh, uh, Dark Brother quest is, you can, like, cut these deals with these deities, deities, because they're all, like, real deities in the universe, and they all, like, demand your soul, but you can cut it, cut that deal with, like, because you can play every quest line. By the time, by my oldest save, I've sold my soul to, like, 40 <laughs> different competing entities forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Paul would not be happy about this. Yeah, well, kind of, you know, it's, we, we did have to do some, uh, you know, this, what's the, uh, what's, the, what's that book where, uh, Oh, it's it's something. It's, it's not on a pale horse, but something on a pale horse, where there's this sorcerer who uh, makes sure he 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 doesn't he can't go to heaven or hell, so he he commits exactly fifty percent evil, fifty percent good, so he can stay in purgatory doing like bureaucratic work and shuffling from line to line. <laughs> I'm not so he never goes with to that, but that sounds hilarious. I'll have to. Yeah, I, I feel like it's a similar situation where you go. There's so many competing entities trying to eat your soul at the end of the end of the world that. You know, it's like what a bankruptcy matter? auction, all the creditors coming out. Like, no, he has to pay me yeah. first. But I guess, um, but I get to keep my house because you know it's, it's, it's a domicile. Right. <laughs> 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 yeah, selling your soul is a bad idea. Don't do that. <laughs> what, what? Yeah, it's. A, well, but there's no it, consequence it, for it. That's the thing. It's yeah, like, exactly. Why not? You get a cool mace yeah. out of it. You get a cool yeah. piece of armor I, or something. I get the shout where I can steal their health and stuff. So why not? You know. Mm. Yeah, well, this okay. So that maybe is a good point to to transition to like maybe the last topic potentially, or or definitely something I wanted to address before we closed out, which was mods. Um, we sort of hinted at it a little bit earlier, and we've discussed a little bit before, but I think that so so we we've all kind of like circled around some of the um, the limitations of the game and and the engine and sort of what the designers initially presented players with, um, and then of course. Um, now there were, you know, mods. Mod, modding goes all the way back. I mean, it's pretty much just, you know, it's been around forever. And and Nexus mods um, existed before Skyrim, but definitely, I think in some ways, you know, um, I don't know. It's it, it, it's its own thing, and it's a huge thing. And and I don't I don't know that anyone really just plays the base vanilla game without any mods, at least not on not on PC. Um, you mentioned uh, James that that uh, that you had a bu- that you typically play with a bunch of mods. What what do you what mods do you use and and which ones are your favorite? Well, you know that's a great question, and I'm actually like furiously looking through my file explorer to find where the launcher is because I haven't played this um, in a while. But I know that I let me think of of what mods I I added. Some of them were basic like texture packs. Um, there was one I added that was like a Celtic music mod. Which is kind of interesting to to break up the monotony Very wholesome, of the yes. the OST, um, but I, I you know I don't recall exactly what else. I, I think graphics were one of the first things I I wanted to address. Oh, but also making the Civil War more immersive. There there are three or four mods I got for the Civil War that add. Um, I think one of them is called Patrols, where it adds more NPC soldiers that'll just be fighting. Um, in kind of in the background. And so before you start the Civil War quest line, you'll be walking through an area and you'll see uh, bigger battles, like, you know, 30 guys on each side just having a, having an all-out war, um, just sort of like out in a field somewhere. And you can get engaged or, or don't get engaged, but it adds more more uh, realism um, to that 
to that uh, aspect of it. There was another one. I forget what it was. It was like a fully voiced, a fully voiced quest mod and some other things. Um, I will, I will gracefully uh, transition out of this and allow uh, Lewis to answer as I try to find my, my mod list so I can actually give an answer to this question. Well, this, uh, this bringing up mods is a great point where, where there's the texture, there's infinite texture packs and improvements into in Skyrim. But one of the kind of uh, bigger questions for Skyrim is that Skyrim is not the best looking game in history, obviously. But for me, it's kind of the diminishing returns peak. Like, games can look better than Skyrim, but I don't really notice it. I think Skyrim is about as good as a game needs to look, if that makes sense. I, it's certainly right. going to go you get, the photo, photorealism route. Yeah, until yeah. you hit. Yeah. Uh, I see Skyrim as, uh, yeah, in terms of 3D games, looking better than Skyrim is kind is ultimately a waste of time, unless it's like a football game or something, like, you know, like a, a very limited in scope thing, which is kind of like a postage stamp. But for open worlds, uh, I mean, obviously there's open worlds that look better and uh, technology has progressed, but I don't notice, I was never like, I since Skyrim, I haven't been like wowed by an environment. Like Far Cry 4 is very cool in like Nepal or whatever, and it's very same kind of thing where it's all these mountains and stuff. But after, it, it didn't give me any better feels than Skyrim. Like, the prettiness of the thing, you see the northern lights, you see the, you see a forest, you see a mountain. It's, it's you it, basically, we've hit Dimension Returns in terms of 3D games. And I, mm -hmm. I think, I don't, like, I, I can't think of a similar experience that I've got in terms of graphics. I've gotten some cool experience with gameplay that, uh, like, that, with the new generation, new generation stuff, but never a, uh, never anything like, I think the graphics race is not over in terms of the race, but it's over in terms of like having a major effect on how you perceive a game. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, like, and this isn't even due to like hardware limitations or anything, but things things look how they're going to look. And I think you get it acclimated to the graphic experience of a game fairly quickly. And so you you, you don't like continue to notice or be critical of a game's graphics like what holds your attention isn't seeing a, another new and amazing texture or seeing wow i really like how the how the you know v-sync and the shader are working together here and and this the shadow is just so brilliant it's it, it's the story or some other reason for you to stay engaged with it and and that is i think another thing that you know relative to other games of the time that that skyrim did well so i, I don't remember like taking myself back to, to 2012 like whether people were talking about the graphics of Skyrim, either people in a positive or negative. People lost their absolute minds. People lost their absolute shit. How good I, they were! Like I had a really there shitty, was there yeah. were subreddits of yeah. like pictures of mountains. Yes. Like oh look at these fucking <laughs> mountains. Look at these northern lights. Look at these forests. Uh, people were losing their fucking minds. Okay. And looking back, it's really cringe and it's very Reddit, but. I was, I, I mean, I was like, yeah, that, that's a really good high res pic, pic, picture mountain. Like, at, there are pictures you could fool, like you could have fooled me. Like, I would have believed that was a legitimate. Well, especially there was somewhere. an HD texture pack basically from day one. I forget if it was official or quasi official. I think anyway, it was. Uh, I w I had a pretty shitty GPU at the time, and it, textures wouldn't load correctly. I would get like neon colored, you know, fuchsia boxes, and I was very upset about this. But then I turned oh, you got it on. The Fashwave pack, nice. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, Miami Vice Skyrim pack. Oh man, that would be pretty funny. But, uh, but I mean, I'm sure. Actually, I'm sure somebody uh, hotline Miami crossover. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I when I even just playing in with the regular with the regular textures was 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 you know by 2012 standards fine and 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 yeah, I mean we've we've mentioned this before before on the show, but I think it's it's bears repeating that um, uh, one of the indexes indices for the decline of the of the video game industry as a whole is um, the extent to which you know when you're talking about budgets. Like it, it now follows broadly. I think that for especially for the bigger releases, the the movie, um, the Hollywood formula of like half the budgets for the development, the other half is for marketing. And then when you're talking about the development budget, most of that is going to be spent on artists and animators. And that's really unfortunate. It it just doesn't add much or hardly anything to the actual games. It's just extremely expensive to you know not not only even just in terms of paying people to make these textures and do these animations, but then it's expensive in terms of the you know the computational requirements on the players machines and for what so you can have a prettier looking skybox i mean it's not it's not nothing but but yeah past there's there's a, there's definitely diminishing returns and and skyrim ish is probably the just about the the i think the sweet spot because yeah past that like what are you what are you really gaining and um you know how much does it really add to the experience or you know whatever it is you're taking away from the experience of of playing these games it doesn't i don't know it is you know how how many how many uh individual blades of grass do you need in the grass texture you know yeah and i would much rather see the, those resources put into something uh like um story and, and you know we've we've talked about we talked a little bit before we started the show about the uncharted series and not to get too far into that but one of the the biggest things that set the Uncharted series apart was they hired a ton of of like uh, writers and story managers to to create uh, the the story and, and to to script it and design the game to be reminiscent of like an Indiana Jones film. Well, and, right? and also the voice acting, right? Uh, yeah. What's his name? Nathan? Dr who's the voice actor? Forget Nolan North. Um, Nolan North. Fantastic performance, right? Uh, and and um, and was Jennifer Hale Elena? No, Emily Rose. Anyway, Jennifer Hale's obviously another high high quality talent, and all of the um, Emily Rose plays uh, his eventual wife Elena Fisher. Spoilers for Uncharted, but um, <laughs> yeah, like you see it coming. He's not going to marry <laughs> Chloe. But but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, you could put resources into writing and voice acting, and you know, all of these, you know, editing and and these kinds of things. Not that they don't put any resources into that, but you you can tell. I think overall, where where um, series and developers uh, and publishers even put, you know, emphasis on on graphical fidelity, and and I'll say, I mean, we were also this part of this conversation we were having before the show that I think is relevant here now and and, and to and generally, um, you know, we're in the middle of of I would, I mean, I've never in my I've been gaming for decades now. I've never seen anything remotely like this um, as far as a supply crunch of of processors and and especially gpus gpus themselves are, are you know relatively reason you know you didn't really start seeing discrete gpus until the 90s um and, and there had been console available availability issues before you know the ps3 was in short supply especially at first and the switch and everything but um you know the the normal kind of um difficulties people had with you know supply with uh, supply not being able to meet demand especially at the new release window you know, we're talking, you know, there's, you know, um, uh, GPUs that are several years old at this point are still fetching like double MSRP at the time they were released. Um, and they're now kind of, you know, quasi obsolete and, and, and the, there's no end in sight. Um, 
so it, it's a really good opportunity, I think, to kind of um, to step back and um, and see, like, okay, well, well, what do we even really need a new GPU or even a new console for? Like, what even is going on with new releases? And there, there's a couple that that may have um, some interest. I, I saw. I I, the, I think the most intriguing to me personally, at least, is is Returnal. Um, seems like it may be kind of cool, um, like sci-fi, rogue-ish, like. For the for the PS5, we'll see. Maybe you know, put a pin in that for for later. Um, you know, there's there's one or there's a couple things, but but by and large, um, you know, the 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 past several years has just been a just a I mean, there's just not a lot going on. Definitely not in the kind of AAA space. Well, um, not big, graphically, right? Like, I think the most fun I've had in terms of like something that's innovative to use the kind of a uh, mm-hmm. big gamer press word is probably super hot, right? And super hot is the <laughs> anti-graphics you know oh, that's exactly where i was going with this is yeah like like what's what's you know the the space that's now opened up is like you really and you and super hot's a great a perfect example of the kind of thing i'm talking about where it's like it's really cool art direction that's very abstract doesn't need to be you know we're not we're not doing photorealism we're, we're doing like a completely different for for reasons that make like design and even narrative sense um within super hot uh the game itself that you know we're 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 doing a different um, just a completely different thing. We're not even concerned with 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 graphical fidelity, and it's a really great experience. It's a really great game. Um, I also a sim- similar kind of graphic thing to what they're doing. It's not you, there's other directions you can go, but uh, 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 Frozen Synapse has a similar kind of vibe going on. It's a strategy game, not a kind of action game, but but it it has a similar and and you don't need a powerful machine to run it, and it's really fun and 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 really great. Um, yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting, definitely how you know how how, how stagnant things. I saw not to I don't want to dwell too too much longer on this, but there was a uh, I think a Lindy man Paul Scalis tweet in the wild I encountered the other day that was so he was basically saying like um, when uh, I think it was Dazed and Confused came out, it was a movie in 1991 about like 1976, and we're now further removed from from 2001 that than um than Dazed and Confused was from or nineteen seventy nine than 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 it was. But like nineteen seventy nine feels like a completely different world from nineteen ninety one and twenty twenty one feels like the it, it just feels like two thousand one, right? It just feels like just the same thing. So um and, and that's no way that the uh, Eternal September eleventh? Eternal September 11th. Yeah, yes. you just want a 9/11 game, is what you're telling us. Right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> man, I want a bed post so hard. Like, well, I have Flight so Simulator many... <laughs> did just come out, right? <laughs> yeah. It's not. You're... I don't need a landing sim. <laughs> right. I just, just want to. <laughs> I remember when, 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 in the, in there was like a couple of releases of Flight Simulator after September 11th, where like the game would just stop if you ran into the twin tower. It was just like, oh yeah, you can't. You know, we're bringing this to an end and uh, no, shutting it down. Um. Anyway, yeah. But uh, well, I yeah, think that, so, so, so the, about the please. GPU thing, like, yeah, yeah, like that. That problem is going to be solved in the next couple of years because of, and most of the GPU demand right now is Ethereum mining, and Ethereum is supposedly moving to proof of stake instead of proof of work at some point uh, in the next year, and so I think you'll see the demand for for GPUs be relaxed. It'll take a while for prices to come down. I, before we started recording, I was telling the story how a year, a year, a year and a half ago, I bought an RX 570, eight gig for uh, like 150 bucks, and right now that same card is like six or seven hundred. So it's we've just gone astronomical in terms of 
uh, in, in terms of prices for these. But I, I think, like, going forward, I don't know, you know, I don't know what's the internal machinations of, of NVIDIA and uh, you know, AMD and whoever else, but I don't know if we, we need to get much more powerful in terms of GPUs for gaming, unless you're going into more VR gaming and stuff, in, in which case you need it. Um, because, like, games don't look that much better. And, you know, you can always run things on, like, ultra-high quality, but as we're talking about here, I think there's diminishing returns to that, and I don't know how many people really, really want or or need that. And, like you mentioned, some of the most fun you've had coming from games that are not graphically intensive. I think two of the best games, both of which came out either last year or at the end of 2019, and I've, I've have, I have own both of these and I have enjoyed them, uh, quite a bit. One is called Yes, Your Grace, which is on Steam. It's PC only. And you you play as this king who has to manage the the demands of, uh, you know, his subjects, but also of your family and you know, your your uh, your daughters. And you have to decide to whether you're going to marry them off politically or not. And especially if you're like a parent, it's like a very emotionally like wrenching game to make these decisions. And it's 8-bit graphics. Right, it's all eight bit, and there's no voice acting, and it's all it's all the script, and the script is written so powerful as powerfully, and the decisions you make are so impactful. Like I don't even care that I'm looking at eight bit graphics; it doesn't matter. It, it, but that game resonated with me much more than than anything, you know, even the best that Unity Engine has to offer uh, from somebody else. And then the other is a game called Not for Broadcast, which I really, really highly recommend people especially if you're interested in politics um it's a game where you play as a a board operator in a like a fictional version of the united kingdom where you decide what to censor on the news broadcast what not to censor what ads to play as this like authoritarian party is ascending into power and you have to manage like keeping your job with uh, you know feeding your family and it's very interesting and that game the graphics are like the 3d graphics are very simplistic um, but they actually shot everything with live actors in studio. So there are hundreds of hours of of actual, you know, real people shot in studios and on set, on location, uh, that make up the bulk of what you see in that game. So it's not graphically intensive. It's guys with a video camera made this, and uh, and that's a much more compelling story again than than they're um, more interesting and replayable in my opinion. Than a lot of like you know AAA title like I'd rather play that than fucking Destiny or something you know. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, I bounced so hard off. Des- yeah, exact. That's those are. Thank you for those recommendations. Um, I will have to to um, check those out. That that's uh, you have shit ton of indie cred. That's awesome. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'll uh, maybe we I can try. play some of those and 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 um, have you have you back on to discuss these or their other other games as well. Um, that's cool. How did you hear about these? I, I've considered myself fairly up on stuff, and I hadn't heard of either of those. It was uh, just, you know, going through Steam, you know, when I have 15 bucks that I want to spend in a game, looking through what's just in the discovery queue, and uh, found them, and they looked interesting. and Fascinating. Took a chance on them. Granted, that's that's a not a, a surefire metric. Like, I bought my summer car a couple days ago, and that game blows. It has, like... <laughs> <laughs> it, like overwhelmingly positive reviews and I'm like this game's broken mm. I, I, I'm not I'm not 13 anymore so like goat simulator style games right. are not really engaging <laughs> to me 
doesn't do it. Yeah. Look at these wacky 3D physics. No, I, I'd rather not. Um. Yeah. Well, that and and, and I think we're gonna we're gonna see um, more and more um, people taking advantage of of um, of this this fact of life now, right? Which is where we sort of hit a point where uh, I think also on the on the development side of the, I mean, like the physical, you know, chips themselves, it's getting harder and harder to to squeeze more transistors, and we're running up against certain kind of physical limits in terms of like you know the the um the size of an electron versus the size of the the transistor um and and maybe we'll do you know the quantum stuff or with that i mean i know that people kind of you know uh, talk about that sometimes and we'll see i guess but but even if let's say you know it becomes a solved problem at some level it's like yeah how much again how many more blades of grass in a grass texture do you need and, and is it really worth anyone's time is it worth the artist's time is it worth the outlay of resources for the for anyone to to really bother with that versus creating these um more um interesting and, and compelling experiences um and and yeah i mean maybe to kind of put a bow on it a little bit at least um one thing that i noticed about both of those um titles that you mentioned and and mm-hmm. um and the kind you know what definitely kind of subgenres of, of of games that i enjoy myself these days more is is that these are these are somewhat more crafted experiences um i think you know the the open world fad finally fortunately seems to be kind of coming to at least it seems to have peaked and uh i you know it's definitely one of the um the promises of video games in general is is the kind of skyrim model or or, um, i presume you've read ender's game where you know like in, in, in ender's game the uh there's this like subplot about this kind of perfect computer game, right? That's like procedurally generated and you can do anything and go anywhere kind of within the world of the game. And the game just sort of generates itself in response to your actions. Um, This is the, I think the kind of um, like the Holy grail, so to speak of, of the open world game or of a certain kind of idea of video games is like, you know, creating this kind of perfectly open, go anywhere, do anything, become anything within the world of this game that is just totally whatever experience. And the problem is it just doesn't work that way. You can't, you know, it's like the the problem, the no man's sky problem, right? Of like the more, the, the wider you make it, the more expansive you make the procedural generation, the, the, the thinner the experience is versus being deep. Um, and, and if you want depth, it has to be handcrafted. It has to be, you know, something that, that's carefully made. Skyrim, and I think the Elder Scrolls generally, on the whole, for all my critiques that we, you know, and our critiques that we've, we've made, I think they strike a pretty good balance. I mean, these are fun games, engaging games. I may, on the whole, prefer even the 3D fallouts. Um, but but it's not, I, w- I would not say that Skyrim's a bad game by any stretch. And I think, on the whole, it does a pretty good job of um, of striking a balance. But yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it, it's like, how far can you get with, uh, you know, assembly programming or whatever, you know, when you're speaking, you know, when, when you're programming something in, in, in this kind of a way with these kinds of basic methods, at least with computational technology as it exists, you know, today and has existed since von Neumann created the, the basic architecture that we're all familiar with, uh, you're never going to get the kind of Ender's Game sci-fi version of this. It's just not really physically possible which means um that 
if, if you want more affecting experiences, if you want deeper experiences, you're never going to get it procedurally generated, randomly generated. It has to be handcrafted. It has right. to be, you know, made in this kind of a way. And, and yeah, it's, it's very heartening to see. I'll, I'll definitely check out um, both of those titles, Yes, Your Grace and, and uh, Not For Broadcast seem, seem very cool already on my Steam wish list. There you go. Yeah, and one last point about like open world games. Um, I played, what was it, Just Cause 3 a while ago. And that's, I think that's getting more to that balance that you're talking about between having your hand held and, and being able to go anywhere or do what you want. Uh, I, I think Just Cause, I think they're kind of knockoffs of Far Cry. I'm not really sure. I've never played a Far Cry game, actually. Um, but yeah, you, you know, you have a zip line and you do all this like superhuman stuff and you go around and you swing at a zip line and use your, your guns and like blow people away. And it's, uh, it, it's sort of, it's it's open world in a sense because you can go anywhere, but there is like a very clear main plot. There's not a ton of little, little subplots for you to do. You have one objective, and it's to like liberate all of these different little regions or something. Um, and so you you feel like more driven forward. You're never tempted to just go like around like walking around and like looking at things. It's always like here's here's a, a similar set of things to destroy or targets to to assassinate or what have you. Um, but in a variety of different environments to do it. So I think it can be done, but to circle all the way back, I'm, I'm glad that Skyrim wasn't that way because it led to such imagination from the modding community that you can play with the same, same engine and same you know, basic world. You, you can play so many different variations on it. Um, and I, I just found my my mod list here, and some of right. these uh, were uh, things like war zones, civil unrest, where there's a lot basically enhancing the the civil war storyline. Uh, there's one called alternate start, live another life, where instead of spawning and having to sit through the <laughs> the uh, opening sequence in Helgen, you can go and and spawn as like a, you know a merchant or or a, a sailor that's been shipwrecked, and all these different uh, different ways to do it. But then some of the more immersive ones, things like Forgotten City, which have a, an entire subplot of you going into this abandoned Dwemer city that's been inhabited uh, by people, and you get to go and you know fight dwarven machines and things. So there's a lot you can do with it, and a lot of these these mods, like Forgotten City, I think adds 15, 20 hours of There's gameplay. a bunch that are like whole new camp, like entirely right. modern, you know, written, produced, voice acted, and, and some of them quite high quality work. Some of them better, frankly, than the than the base game, from what I understand. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, so so um, it's definitely interesting. That's what I was saying almost, you know, because now it's almost a running joke, like the, uh, the Skyrim is kind of almost like, you know, Doom now. I, I, I saw a version of Doom. I don't know how... I don't know if it was responding to player input or if it was it was just a thing, but either way, it was very impressive. It was a, it was like a server array of cores. It was like a you know, and if you go and you control alt delete taskbar, you can see your core activity um, in your in your different processor cores. Well, this was like a what I guess 128 th or threads rather. So it was like a 128 thread um, grid that that was running doom <laughs> um i've seen doom on on you know washing machine lcd displays and and uh and, and and similar kinds of absurdities skyrim is probably the second most ported game at this point after doom uh, you know versions for you know todd howard is very happy to sell us versions of skyrim for pretty much every console and 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 you know dev gaming device we own 
Um, but but in some ways, it's even more like than the game itself, which you know it has its very very nice points that we've all discussed. But uh, yeah, it's a platform, right? It, it's it's like a it's a canvas for for modders to paint their vision on, and um, and that's great. I I think that that that's uh it, it's it's almost a lost art or, or definitely a dying one in in some ways of you know where whereas in the past um like counter-strike you was started as a mod and a lot of things started as mods and and there was this, and, and games used to ship with with development tools and that's you know between drm and and steam stuff and and just the the, the economics of the industry that's generally been very much on the decline but a bright spot in all that and and really almost i think a, a selling point because like yeah there were day one mods for skyrim and it was always kind of understood like you know based on the experience people had with with, with especially with morrowind and, and oblivion that um there was an, an expectation that it would be open that there would be developer tools that that you know normies or, or i don't know if normies whatever the word you want to use non-professionals um would be able to to have access to the game's guts and and to do basically whatever they wanted with it from day one and they were and they've done an incredible amazing um hilarious fun stuff with it and and that's um uh can't speak highly enough about the the modern community for skyrim uh, i don't know if anyone in the audience has ever participated in that but if so you know kudos to you i i think i'm kind of done i don't know if, if there were any other points y'all wanted to hit either either one of you um I just wish you could destroy the Thieves Guild. <laughs> Why? Well, because, you know, it's, it's not conducive to a, to a harmonious Nordic community. Ban usury right? and the Thieves Guild. Yes. That's right. Yeah, or, or like destroy any of these other, these other groups. Like, companions, like, I get it. You're all like, you know, like deeply in tune with your Nordic mysticism, but do we really need werewolves? Or if you can be werewolves, well, then use the your power to fight the Empire. Well, that's an interesting thing about the companions is they have like they're the only like uh, how you say good like they do a Nordic because they're obviously a counterpoint to the Dark Brotherhood. You can like cure them of the werewolf stuff, and that's it's a big deal. Like they're really excited to like uh, purge the werewolf thing from their line or whatever. Whereas the every other uh, basically every other kind of guild or branch kind of just deals with having some kind of a. Uh, Mystic spirit controlling them and making them do bad things. Whereas the, the true the true Nords will, uh, they uh, do little Faustian stuff and they go fight gods, which is very, uh, <laughs> you know. Yes, uh, very. I'm not, gonna do the, I'm not gonna do the Spencer accent as much. As, uh, <laughs> very <you're talking>. <laughs> <laughs> Look. Uh, yeah. So you know, someone should make a Thalmor genocide mod. I think. I guess was that the conclusion of that? I think so. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, it's Skyrim ethnic cleansing. Look, not for for any nefarious purpose, but to enhance the realism. We're just we just want a more realistic game world, guys. It's just you know. Give me my Stormcloak swastika mod, please. Thank you. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, um, I I think that about does it. Uh, thank you so much, James, for coming on. It was a pleasure and, and an honor having you. Uh, oh hopefully yeah, you'll thanks be able for to, having me. No, absolutely. Hopefully, we'll be able to have you on again. Um, do an whatever. indie roundup. We can, uh, yeah, talk about Dude, some of these, that would be these smaller indie games. Perfect. Yes, we'll we'll sort it out. Uh, Till then, uh, hope you all enjoyed listening and uh, take care, everybody.
Tom. Those are Tom.